Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to a special bonus off-air, which we did last Friday at the Women of the World Festival at the South Bank Centre in London. It is actually, um, well, it, it does take place all over the world, wow, doesn't it? This is the London version of it. It definitely does, yes. But it is the biggest festival in the world celebrating women, girls and non-binary people. And we got the chance to talk to two incredible women. We did, and we were delighted to be asked to the festival. We were on stage at the Royal Festival Hall, uh, which uh, we just find quite funny, don't we? Because we've done a show at the Royal Festival before. It's just one of those things. Having lived in London for, God, 35 years now and always loved wandering along the South Bank, there isn't a single nano bit of me that ever thought would be on stage at the Royal Festival Hall. So it's uh, it has been a real... Uh, delight, Jane, don't you think? Yeah, the Sydney Opera House. I have House to pinch myself, has really. eluded us so far. But only so far. Well, I don't think you'd be able to take the flight. I think you'd have to leave now and you'd probably have to go on a cruise ship. Yeah, I would I'd have to go on a cruise. Called the Queen Elizabeth I. <laughs> and by the time I got off the Golden Hind, I'd be, uh, I'd have had so many captain's dinners. I'd be about, ooh, about 90 stone. I think anyway. you'd have scurvy. <laughs> So anyway, uh, it was a real honour to be there and we were joined on stage by two incredible women. Uh, The Aboriginal activist June Oscar and comedian, writer, singer and actress and just all round good egg actually. She's a campaigner to Mira Sayal. So you get to hear a little bit of chat with both those women and maybe a little bit of chat with us. I just don't know. And we start off with June Oscar. June Oscar is an Indigenous rights activist Torres Straits Islander Social Justice Commissioner. Uh, As I said at the beginning of our session, she did fly in overnight from the United Nations. She is one of the 50 most important women in the world, according to the Sydney Morning Herald. She has so much to say after a lifetime of campaigning, but can we give an enormous Royal Festival Hall welcome to an absolutely cracking sister? It is June Oscar.
keep you waiting out there. We waffled on a little bit. But can I ask you immediately, we had that lovely question from Kiki, 15 years old. She's come along to the WOW Festival here. She listens to our podcast and she wanted to know our advice for a career in journalism. What would your advice be to a young, ambitious 15-year-old who wanted to get involved in the world of rights and talking about issues and news? Well, um, like you, I agree. She's a lot um, braver than I was at 15. Um, Talk to as many people. Don't limit yourself. Um, You may start um, thinking that you're wanting to follow similar paths to Jane and Fee, Kiki. You may start there, but you could end up in a very different place. Um, doing some amazing things. So don't, don't limit your dreams. Mm, that's very good advice. Uh, what were you like and where were you when you were 15? Okay. Um, 15, I was um, in the Kimberley, in, in the Fitzroy Valley, which is um, my home region of Western Australia. So we're, we're talking 2000 kilometres north of um, Perth, our capital city, Um, much closer to to Asia, um, we are, than to Perth. Um, I was living my life in a, what would be commonly looked upon as a refugee camp in, in, you know, the world's terms, but this was um, a camp where Aboriginal people were moved off traditional lands, placed on these um, little tracts of land, a kilometre by a kilometre in radius, very little housing, about six um, taps of running water, um, living there and expecting to, to survive and adapt to a new regime and to then attend, continue to attend school and learn the English language, master it so that we're prepared, all of us, for this new reality and this new world um, we were transitioning into. So um, life was about survival in those camps. It was about helping my mother, my grandmother, with all of the chores, um, looking to see where our next meal was coming from. Um, we had access to rivers and, and creeks and, and bushland, so we, we could hunt and, and gather, as well as um, combine that with um, the ration foods that were being supplied by the mission or the missionaries and the government um, depots where, where um, food was being um, um, delivered um, and dispersed to these camps. But so my know, life was very different yes. to where I'm at now. And well, I little did say- I think that I would be here in this hall with all of you and you've talking just about this. come from New York. Yeah, so absolutely. Um, you were at the United Nations and how widely understood 
is the plight of indigenous people by the United Nations? Let's just start with that question. I think the United Nations is, um, is becoming very aware of the, the issues impacting um, indigenous peoples across the world. Um, and our presence, though, um, we can do more, and the UN can do more to create the space for our voices to be at the table informing um, the UN processes on, on what the solutions are um, to the issues impacting Indigenous peoples, whether we're in Canada, whether we're in, in Australia or um, the Pacific Islands, uh, wherever we may come from. I think we can always do better to create the space. Uh, you've done a lot of work on fetal alcohol syndrome. I was interested to read something, and I was really, really hadn't thought of the implication of this, but to your community, it's incredibly important, isn't it, to pass down your traditions through language. And some of the research that you've been involved in was pointing to a very clear difficulty because of fetal alcohol syndrome impeding that. Can you tell us a little Absolutely. bit more about that? Absolutely. Australia has a huge drinking culture. And um, when we led the response to, you know, why was it that so many of our children were being expelled from school as young, you know, across the um, age groups, we were asking ourselves, well, these aren't bad kids, but why, why are these numbers just being tossed out of the school, and it was because, largely, the impact of alcohol on brain development and behaviours and abilities of children. So we, we conducted Australia's first prevalence research, and we, you know, really went deeply into the impacts of alcohol on our children, and we found that we had around 21% of our childhood population affected. So we were able to respond to their needs. We have now created um, resources to provide to every single educator coming into a Kimberley school, and it's gone beyond the Kimberley, um, resources that will help them understand how to respond in the most supportive, caring, respectful way, but an informed way around um, a child who carries um, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder or fetal alcohol syndrome. So, you know, a child could be anywhere on the spectrum dependent upon the level of exposure at that time in their um, fetal development. So this had come from indigenous women-led concerns. I think it's something we don't talk very much about here at all, and we are a nation who drink. Mm. Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, do you ever see, June, uh, Australia's drinking culture changing? I think it probably is slightly... Is it worse than Britain's drinking culture? I don't, I don't know. Well, no. I, I'm, I'm not qualified to say no. uh, the Brits drink. No. But, um, look, um, people have... In, in their, because leading to the prevalence research on fetal alcohol spectrum disorders in my community, um, in the year 2006, 
50 people died in my community of 4,000 people right. from preventable deaths, yeah. alcohol-related deaths. The state coroner became very concerned when you know he had bodies turn up um, for autopsies, and he found, you know, in the toxicology reports, the the readings of alcohol in the bloodstream is just just horrendous. But um, the women, led by myself and my colleague Emily Carter, and our women in our community, we. Um, call for restrictions on the sale of um, full-strength alcohol out of our drive-through in our little town because it was selling, you know, 250,000 litres of pure ethanol to a community that size and they were making millions. Yeah. So we led the campaign to calling on the state liquor licensing authority to impose... Uh, a monitorium on the sale of full-strength alcohol. Yeah. Now, we, you know, we weren't um, um, seen as the, you know, nicest women in town, but yeah. um, Probably that weren't happen. that popular. We yeah. lost friends. People, you know, jumped to the other side of the street when we were coming down the road. Um, we were threatened um, by, you know, so many as well as the industry itself. So we led that. Yeah. Um, June. But just, just on the question around the impact of um, alcohol to indigenous community, mm. we, yes, we are of an oral tradition heritage. So everything is, is taught. And by doing, showing, the brain is critical. We have to remember. And if we cannot hold memory to then, you know, transmit the knowledge to the next generation because of alcohol, because of FASD, then... Yeah, you're losing a huge amount, more than... No one can hold memory yeah. of who we are as the world's oldest continuous civilization on this earth, 65,000 years and counting. And that is how we've, you know, people like me and others have learnt our language. We've learnt everything about everything um, and who we are and how that's so important to hand on to the next generation. I think that's, well, it's an illustration of what a powerful voice you have, June, and how brilliantly well you've used it. Thank you so much for talking to us tonight. We really appreciate it. Um, a great privilege to meet you. Thank yes, you very much. Yes, real privilege. Thank, thank you both. And thank you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Um, I'm a very lazy individual, so I, my favorite introduction is to always just say, she needs no introduction. <laughs> and that's, but I'm a little worker oh, bee, no. so I've written something down. Okay, go on, read out what you've written. Because oh, you've no, put the, no she's put the effort in While I'm here, all right, no, then, go on. Come on, I'll drink my tea. Show you're working. Uh, okay, Mira Sayal's work spans comedy, campaigning, writing, singing, accepting honorary doctorates and MBEs and CBs. Uh, the Kumars at number 42 is said to have been the late Queen's favourite TV show. And Mira has just finished filming a new TV series called Mrs. Sidhu Investigates, in which a nosy auntie turns proper private detective. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mira Sayal. It wasn't very exciting, Q, but it covers uh, everything. Just, well, no, I think it covers about an eighth of what she does, actually. Yeah. I'm incredibly jealous of the MBE and the CBE. Oh, yeah. um, so when you have your name written down, do you have both after? So it's Mira, Sayal, MBE, CBE, is it? Is I, I suppose I could do that, but I don't... I only really use it when I'm writing complaint letters. Right, OK. It's very useful. And or challenging parking tickets. Um... <laughs> Actually, my mum brought me quite down to earth the first time I got um, an MBE, and she kept calling it the MEB, which, of course, stands for Midlands Electricity Board. <laughs> um, kind of put me in my place, really. Yes, yeah. But does one supersede the other? Is one oh, yeah. more glorious than the other? Is one more glorious? Yeah, the CBE is above the MBE. It goes... So it shoves the MBE out of the way? Yeah. Well, it's... give that to me, then, because I haven't got anything. It's not fair. <laughs> Um, come on, just send it in the post. You can, of course, I'll send. Yeah, we can take we can take turns in wearing it. Yeah, okay, yeah. that would be great. Well, we can yeah. do that. So a damehood is the next logical step for you, isn't it? Blimey, yeah. it's more, more likely to be pantomime dame, but that's that's absolutely fine. I mean, yeah. you know, it's nice when these things come along, but it's not kind of why you do what what you do. It's why Jane does what she does. Yeah. Is it? <laughs> Is it? I was trying to be polite because I did actually know that. A good point, well made. Um, okay, now we, we have to make sure the audience do get involved. So please, if you've got a question for Mira, please do move to one of the spotlit mics at some point over the next 20 minutes or so. Um, but we need to know about your new show in which you play a lady detective. A lady detective. So indeed. tell us about this. Well, I'm really genuinely excited about this. It's called Mrs. Sidhu Investigates. And um, it was actually a, uh, a Radio 4 um, 
comedy drama. I don't know if any of you heard it on there, but very rarely does a series move from from radio to television. So mm. when the lovely team that made it said, we're going to try and get this on telly, I thought, yeah, okay, see you soon. And then <laughs> in two years' time, it happened, which was remarkable. Um, so it was devised by a lovely guy called Suk Panu, who used to write for um, the Kumars as well. Yeah. And um, it's about a middle-aged Indian widow called Mrs. Sidhu, and you never get to learn her first name, interestingly, who is a caterer and sort of falls into private detecting, um, only because in her first case, somebody from her family is involved and she gets drawn in. Mm. But she suddenly realises she's really good at this, because why wouldn't she be? She's an auntie, and we're nosy. <laughs> and aunties, you know, everyone's got those aunties. They know everything about you. They just look at you and they go, you're pregnant, aren't you? I'm not, actually. Are you? What an excuse. I told you I'd ovulated. I said I had. Sorry, Um, But Yeah, so, yeah, because I grew up with a lot of these incredible matriarchal women who, you know, were shoved into roles they probably didn't want. They had so much more potential. Mm. But what they were brilliant at was reading people and and keeping secrets. And... um, you know, much better than a lot of the men were. And what is more invisible than an old brown woman, frankly? So you can get into places that other people don't. And because she's a brilliant cook, she gets secrets out of people merely by feeding them some of her delicious food, and they tell her everything. Um, So it was just, it was really joyous, um, because it's a little tongue-in-cheek, but it just had so much sort of wit and warmth about it and of course surrounded by food every day on set which also was very nice I have to say Do you actually get to eat it? Yeah, do you? Yeah and we had some fantastic um, chefs helping us, you know, helping me like you you chop like this, this is what professional cook chops like, I mean I've been doing it wrong for years but also to dress the food and all of that and Mm. you've got to I think I once ate 14 croquembouche on the same day, it was lovely DL. Yeah I know Going some. That's going some. Is the croquembouche that great big... Um, yeah, they're like profiteroles, but sort of caramelised profiteroles full of just yummy creme pat and things like that. Honestly, oh. the things you talk about, you grew up in the Midlands, you can't have dreamt of a life where you'd be doing <laughs> that for a living. Um, tell us about the most sophisticated aspect of your adolescence in the, in the Midlands. My most sophisticated... Yes, when was the first time you... Was it the wimpy opening? What, what, what was it? <laughs> Oh, gosh, so many things in Walsall. What can I tell you? Well, um, a coffee bar opened in Walsall uh, uh, in my teens. And me and my best friend, Katie Mills, who's still my best friend, um, thought we'd go off and have a coffee because that's what you do. We felt young, we were exciting, we're going to have a coffee in Walsall. It's the first coffee bar. So we go in very excited, sit at the table, waitress comes over. Hello, can I help you? And I said, can I have a cappuccino? And she said, what's a cappuccino? (laughs) Well, early days. Early days. It's fine now. You can get very good things in Warsaw. This was some years ago. Um, I do remember uh, the first time I ever ate a prawn was in the Greek Acropolis restaurant near the bus station. (laughs) And I felt pretty damn sophisticated then, I can tell you. Was it a big prawn or just the It was a prawn prawns? cocktail. It was the 70s. It was a prawn oh. cocktail. Yeah. It's that great um, Victoria Woodline about prawns. I've heard they're aphrodisiacs. And the other woman says, I wouldn't put it past them. <laughs> and that's... I steer clear of them myself. 
don't go near them. So um, were you from a sort of showbiz, is it all theatrical in your, in your childhood home? What, what was it like? Oh, gosh, no, no. Um, no, my, uh, my dad was an accountant and my mum was a teacher. Um, and they... well, that's very boring, Mira, I'm sorry to <laughs> yes. hear that. Yes. Well, actually, my dad was an accountant, but he hated it. He oh. was a philosophy graduate. I mean, God knows why he thought anybody in Britain wanted a recently emigrated Indian man with a philosophy degree. <laughs> but that was him. Um, he was this beautiful dreamer, but he did accountancy and he, frankly, probably hated it. But... Um, what he did do, he had these very famous musical evenings, and that's really what he was good at. He was a wonderful singer, and he was offered a Bollywood contract when he was young, but my right. granddad didn't let him take it up because he was a communist and didn't believe in all that bourgeois crap like movies. So, Just as well, he never found out what happened to you then, <laughs> didn't he? Yeah. So were your family very supportive of your desire to tread the boards, etc.? Yeah, I think once I got over... I mean, actually, really unusually, I think, for, for South Asian parents at that time, because obviously all the Indian kids I knew were doing sens sensible subjects like medicine, accountancy, pharmacy, law. Um, even if they didn't want to, that's what they were pushed to do. And um, I think I was the only one of all of our friends' kids that did anything vaguely artistic and was allowed to. But it was an easy choice for my parents because I was so one-sided. I was really so bad at maths and science, so bad, that it would have been... I would have killed people if I'd become a doctor. It would have been bad for the world. So um, they, they, offered, they said, you can see that you're good at English, you're good at languages. You, I didn't study drama, but that came later. But they let me... I think because they understood what it was like to have thwarted dreams and ambitions because mm. they had many of their own that they couldn't fulfill they didn't want to do the same thing to their child and that I think was a very loving wise yeah. thing to do can we talk a bit about your campaigning as well can you tell us and don't don't put yourself down and say this is down to someone else who we all know the house of the eyes what what were they and why did they need a blue can never say it plaque or plaque Black. Black. Yes. Ah, OK. Well, yes. I mean, I'm going to have to name-check the wonderful Anita Anand, yes. I, who's a very dear friend of mine and a brilliant broadcaster and historian. And if you haven't heard her podcast, Empire, or read any of her brilliant books like Sophia, about Sophia Dalipsing, please do. And I've done her plug. She's paid me. I've done it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yes, um, the House of the Ayers got a blue plaque quite recently. Um, the Ayers were Indian nannies that um, were employed by British families who were members of the Raj, um, East India Company mainly, who brought their Indian nannies back with them when they came back to England. Um, but what a lot of them did was, um, as soon as they got to England, abandon them because they didn't need them anymore. And so these um, women were basically left to, to starve. Um, and uh, a charity mission noticed that there were these abandoned Indian women wandering the streets and um, started up a mission to look after them. I mean, slightly double-edged sword. You know, you had to convert to Christianity to enter the mission, but still, it was better than starving. Um, but it's one of those wonderful slices of hidden history that, um, I mean, I think Anita saw the same picture I did, where, where you're leafing through a, a history book, and there was this really arresting picture of a whole row of 
women that look like me in crinolines, looking very solemn, writing on blackboards with a sort of teacher at the front, and it, I as home hackney, and I thought, what the heck, what is that? And yes, it, it was there for, um, I think, 80-odd years. Um, so that very home has now been given a blue plaque. There's, a, there's a plenty of now literature about that place. Um, but those kind of nuggets really mean a lot mm. when you discover them because you want to know that your presence here isn't, didn't just start in 1960. No. And because this stuff isn't taught in schools, you have to find out these hidden bits of history yourself to remind yourself uh, all our histories are really braided and that we have been a huge part of British history and, and vice versa. It's been a long and tangled relationship, but we shouldn't be erased from it. So celebrating all of those things is really important, I think. And what about, um, we were talking earlier about how we wanted to try to celebrate tonight, and it, it is, um, it can seem desperate, the current situation when we talk about violence against women and girls, uh, women's safety, the global, never, any number of global nightmares largely impacting very negatively on women and girls as well. Uh, Ukraine, I mean, Lord knows what's happening. We don't really know what is happening in Ukraine, truth be told, I mm -hmm. suspect. Mm -hmm. Probably um, we're all better off not knowing, if we're honest. Um, but what, what would you point to as a genuine improvement in women's lives over the last, over the course of your lifetime, for example? Can I just say I've discovered the wireless bra? <laughs> yes, you can. Yes. In fact, I'm wearing one now. Wow. Um, I literally opened some new ones today. It's changed my life. I mean, especially Don't if you're... you find that everything just goes kind of into one... Uniboob. Yes. Uni yes. I don't... Sometimes. It depends on the angle you're at, but I have found a very good one. I know that sounds a bit trite, but actually, oh. the bigger picture is, you know, I love it that... When I see young girls out, they're all wearing bother boots and sneakers. Heels are gone. Yeah. I mean, all that stuff that we used to squeeze ourselves oh, into and makes ourselves... No, they're very sensible, but I'm thinking about some of the stuff that you used to feel obliged to squeeze yeah. yourself into that, zip yourself into that, teeter on this. Mm. No, we wear stuff that's comfortable and we can run in. And, you know, young girls are celebrating that. And I love that. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I agree. Let's put up the spotlights of doom on the microphone. Um, Start see, trampling yes, over people yeah. you're sitting next to in order now, to. Now, we had two very impressive young women in the first half, so I'm going to throw it open to the more mature individual um, <laughs> in the second half. Do we have somebody moving to. Yes, oh, we, we have do. someone moving to. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Oh. Yes. Should we go this side first? Yes, this time. Yeah. Just to say, that's a. Hello? Oh, Hello. That's a lot of stairs. Just to, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Very um, impressed. My name's Eloisa Tovey. Um, I'm actually a UN delegate at the CSW 67 this year. Oh, wow. Um, and what's really brilliant about it is the real conversations. And what I tend to find... So I, was, I probably aligned uh, myself to a feminist about five years ago. And I all definitely went through that thing of being like, it's a taboo word, don't want to touch it, don't want to go anywhere near it. And over time, that has changed. I think my question is, it kind of came up earlier about this idea of male, like men rights. And I hosted a panel discussion at work yesterday, and I felt the need to say, when we talk about women today, we're not ignoring men. And there's always that counterbalance. But when men talk about rights, they don't seem to feel the need to also clarify we're ignoring women. So my question is, 
do you think the media is responsible for trivialising feminist issues into such a way that ends up being them versus us and then feeling the need to say things such as not all men and to clarify that men experience things too? Does that make sense? Yeah. Thank you very much for that. Mm. Um, what would you say about that, Mira? Yeah, I think there's a certain amount of that, but that's also because everything's so polarised and clickbaity, isn't it? Mm. I think whatever makes a headline that people will jump on and go, I don't think that at all, or I completely disagree with you. It's like whatever, most issues get boiled down to let's start a heated debate. Um, and it's not always the best, you know, the subtleties get lost, the context gets lost often. And does that make you fearful of joining in? Because Yeah. So do you do social media, do you not bother? I am on Twitter and I'm on Instagram, and Instagram is much more friendly and mostly pictures of, well, cats, actually, uh, which I like very much. Uh, and I do, yeah, I really do think before I tweet, always, um, because it can be so misinterpreted and there's no forgiveness and there's, there's no shades of subtlety uh, and you've got to be so careful. I don't think Twitter is the place to debate something as big as that. No, it definitely isn't. I mean, we do live in a, an age where the biggest issues are being ut so utterly trivialised and the current government's obsession with these three-word slogans. Yeah. This week's is, stop the boats. Could we try up your bum? Yeah. Well, yeah yes. Um, <laughs> yes, the lady over there. Thank you. By the way, thank you very thank much you very indeed much. for your question. Thank you. <laughs> Hello. Um, Mira, I was so inspired by what you were saying about stories and humanity. Um, I'm doing research into how young people of colour feel about the representation of their ethnicity in the literature that they read in school. So as one of the, one of the only writers of colour on the curriculum at the moment, I wondered how do you feel like we can fix that problem so that all young people feel inspired by the literature they're reading? And if I can have a part two to my question, I wondered what um, books all of you were inspired by as you were growing up. Mm. Great question. Great Thank question, you. yeah. Anita, it's Anita and Me is your book that's on the curriculum, isn't it? It is, yeah, my, yeah. my first novel, semi-autobiographical. Um, how do you change that? Honestly, it's really simple. It's to offer those range of experiences to, uh, and put them on the curriculum. Um, it doesn't always mean teachers will choose them, that you can't do, but um, at the moment there just aren't enough diverse voices that are studied. Um, and also I just think, I mean I don't think it's just literature, I think history, I think the way that we teach history needs to be looked at as well. And, and, uh, I just, I don't know, I was recently visiting um, my daughter in New York and we went to the Natural History Museum which you know, we've always loved. And some of the exhibits there are 200 odd years old. And there was one huge one which showed um, the first uh, white settlers meeting the first Native Americans. And it was a very nice tableau and it all looked really friendly. And you think, uh-huh. And um, what was really interesting is that they had a big notice saying, this exhibit is 200 years old. We understand that this is only told from one point of view. So let us tell you the other version of this. This 
Native American woman in the background was the matriarch of the tribe and probably would have been standing at the front here doing all the negotiating. And they unpicked each bit of that tableau, but they didn't take it down. They left it there so people could see that there were two sides and there was an unwritten bit. And I think we need that approach to literature as, as, and history. We find the, the other parts that we haven't talked about. And we have both coexisting. Yeah. Thank you. And what are you reading at the moment and what inspired you when you were younger? Was that also part of your question? Yes. Oh, gosh, I read so much. Um, I really loved Alice in Wonderland, actually, just because it was like an acid trip. Not that I'd taken acid. Um, but I just loved the surrealism of it, and I found there was a freedom in that that really appealed to my imagination. Um, and probably quite traditionally, that the book that really affected me and changed me, and I read it at the right age, I was 13, was To Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee, because that was really the first time that um, I suppose I was aware of the, the other side of racism, the, the root of it, that it wasn't just about hatred, it was also about fear. And that made me feel stronger, that the people that, that were scared of, that hated me were also scared of me and scared of what I had. And that was a really powerful position to be in. So that, and of course, I fell in love with Atticus Finch, who's still my ideal man. So, um, yeah, I loved that book. Can I just share? Sorry, my son's called Atticus, so that means a lot to me that that's your favourite. <laughs> that's brilliant. brilliant. <laughs> Can we just briefly end with something hugely positive, which I think probably will unite everybody in this room, which is that one of the fabulous things about being female is the strength of female friendships. And you are still best mates with the Katie, the woman you mentioned earlier. I am. Yeah. I am. You went for a cappuccino, or tried to go for a cappuccino. cappuccino. Yeah, how amazing. We've been mates for 50-odd years. And it's one of... I mean, we don't. she still lives up in the Midlands, so we don't see each other that often, but it literally is... I can call her up, and we haven't talked for three months, and I go, hello, and she'll go, yeah, and anyway, and just pick up from <laughs> what we were talking about three months ago. But there is something very precious about, I don't know, we've no, we were first year of senior school when we met each other, so someone that's been on your journey with you through first falling in love, first boyfriends, going to university, getting married, then divorced, miscarriages, bereavements, the whole thing that you've been through at, at our age now. And we've, we've been through that together. And that's, um, that's rather wonderful. Yeah. And it's, it's wonderful. It's not unique. I bet lots of people in this room have got a similar friendship. And they are absolutely not to be sniffed at. They well, be who's come with celebrated. a friend? Tonight. Who's come with a friend? Yes, great. Okay. Let's, I, go to, I go to work with a friend. <laughs> um, no, but let's just put that in our womanly locker yeah. and just enjoy, um, enjoy the strength of our friendships with each other. And um, Mira, such a great privilege to have you with us tonight. Thank you My so pleasure. much. Thank, Thank you. you for giving up your time. That was Mira Sayal, a writer, a actor, singer, a comedian. She's done the lot. And you can catch her series very soon on Alibi, in which she investigates some very sinister-sounding crimes. I love the name Alibi. What a fantastic name for a TV channel. Well, I think one that is dedicated to shows with a detective bent. 
it's doesn't brilliant. get much better, does it's it? It's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. yeah. So it was a lovely evening. If you came along, then thank you very much indeed. And if you asked a question when we were there, thank you too, because the spotlights were harsh. Uh, and maybe we'll do it again sometime. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Anything that we were talking about with either June or Mira, it's the usual address, even though this is your bonus ball edition. It's Jane and Fee at times.radio. Uh, and you can leave a review of the podcast wherever it is that you're listening to us right now. I've never really understood why that's so important, apart from my marvellous egos. Uh, but it is, isn't it? Well, it, yes. I mean, it, it, as long as you don't write utter shit and getting worse, which wouldn't be good, would it? No, that's very true. Uh, so please don't do that. Just in the spirit of womanliness, please don't do that. No, but have a lovely weekend. You have been listening to Off Air with Jane Garvey and Fee Glover. Our Times radio producer is Rosie Cutler and the podcast executive producer is Ben Mitchell. Now you can listen to us on the free Times radio app or you can download every episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget that if you liked what you heard and thought, hey, I want to listen to this but live, uh, then you can, Monday to Thursday, 3 till 5 on Times Radio. Yeah. Embrace the live radio jeopardy. Thank you for listening and hope you can join us off air very soon. Goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com